You're listening to Red Nation Online. Good night and welcome to another edition of Off the Woodworks on RedNationOnline.ca. I'm Kevin Arame, and one, two, three, four. Tell me that you love me more. First in the East. Two goals for Devaio. Two goals for Bernier. Three points on the road. And four, the amount of goal we scored. <laughs> or you can say. Dos Bernier, dos Divayo, and dos Acero. Yeah, so today on Other Woodworks, in the second half, I talked to this week to AJ Job from MLS Fantasy Insider Podcast on NASN. He's from Columbus, so we talked about the Columbus crew, but before that, we actually talked about the milestone game that was on Tuesday night for the U.S. men's national team in Columbus. The U.S. was facing Mexico in a very important game in the qualification in the CONCACAF, better known as the HEX. And yes, the U.S. qualified for the World Cup, something us Canadians don't know what it feels like. Well, it's been too long. Well, they qualified by beating Mexico. Dos a cero in Columbus. Great goals by Eddie Johnson, Lennon Donovan, a missed PK by Clint Dempsey. Which would have made it tres acero, which doesn't seem right. Shades of 2002 in the Korean World Cup. The World Cup in Korea, obviously. Where the U.S. beat Mexico dos acero and had that vibe dos acero again for the U.S. So we talked about that and obviously about the Columbus crew before to preview the game that will happen tomorrow at the Saputo, 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Get up early go party, and then go to the Saputo. Yes, if you're going to listen to the AJ Job interview, we kind of messed it up by saying that the game was in Columbus. We slept on it, but we know it's in Montreal. And you probably already have your tickets, because it is almost sold out. So we talked about that in the second half of the show. But before that, a review of a great game on the road. A very, very entertaining game to watch in Foxborough. On real grass? Yes, it was real grass. It was a uh, temporary real grass installed at Gillette Stadium where the Montreal Impact thrived. 4-2 victory against the revolution. That revolution never sparked anything on last Sunday because Montreal were in great form and you gotta say the referee helped Montreal a little bit in that game for once the referees are on our side on our side on Montreal's side for once it was a very interesting game and you know what because the referee we should actually take a second and recognize the referee for that game we will I will tell you right in a second who was the referee for that game, I believe it's very important because for once, 
all the calls went Montreal's way. The referee was Soren Stoika. And the two assistants were Daniel Bello and Claudio Badea, with the fourth official being Robert Sibica. So you got to remember that. Soren Stoika. Soren Stoika. Sorin Stoika. Just in case we get that referee in the playoffs, it would be amazing for Montreal <laughs> to get that referee again. Well, anyways, it was a 4-2 victories. Bernier scored twice on penalties. First penalty was really called for. Second one was a bit of a stretch. Yes, there was contact in the box. Felipe embellished it a little. I know, you're all surprised. We saw gamesmanship in the game in the MLS. Yes, we did. <laughs> it was for Montreal. The little Brazilian who might be a part of Canada's future plan for the men's national team, if you believe a couple of articles that came out this week. Him, Camilo, Camara, they talked about maybe uh, being naturalized and maybe being part of Benito Floro's goal, uh, plan for 2018. Because they would actually be eligible as we speak if they continue on the same pace of living in Canada and playing for Canadian teams. So being in Canada most of the year for five consecutive years, then you're allowed to play for that country as FIFA rules. So after those five years of domestic residency, then you're eligible to play for the, for the men's national team. Because yes, only two years is needed for your permanent residency for the actual government. But for the FIFA, by FIFA rules, it is five years. So Felipe, it's been two years already. Three years left. That brings us to 2016. And then there's a 2018 World Cup with qualification start in 2015, which would make Felipe available for that. Same thing for Camilo. And same thing for Asun Camara. Actually, Asun Camara is probably going to be available a year before that because he's been with Montreal since 2011. So, can you imagine that? Benito Floro trying to get those players. And those players would be needed in the Canada men's national team. Let me know what you think about that. Should we naturalize players? Should we try to even out the playing field by getting young, talented players from out of country and naturalizing them as Canadians? What do you think about that? Email me off the woodworks with an X at email at he off the woodworks with an X at hotmail.com. You can let me know on Twitter at off the woodworks or message me on Facebook off the woodworks and go like my page. So let me know what you think about naturalizing those young stars, potential stars, who could maybe never... Felipe doesn't have the caliber of play to play for Brazil, but he does for Canada, so let's naturalize him. Cap Camilo, Cap Camara, and Cap Felipe for Canada. You hear? And shout out to Soren Stoika again, who gave us two penalties. So back to the New England and Montreal game. Two penalties. So actually, we scored the first goal. And then New England tied it up 20-something minutes later. But just before the end of the half, another penalty. And Bernier scores twice. And then it was a DeVaio show. DeVaio scored two goals of pure class again of pure quality and class from the Italian striker. Our Italian stallion, 
Mr. Marco De Vallo, who is not sure he's going to play next year. This week, it was announced on a couple of different websites that it might be Marco De Vallo's last game, uh, last game last season, because of personal problems. His family, actually, his wife and his kids have traveled back to Italy to take care of family issues, and they're still there. And they're going to stay probably in Italy for the remainder of, for a little, a short term. So we'll see what happens then. We'll see if it ha if it affects the Vio's play because right now he's red hot. And hopefully, hopefully the Vio will sign Montreal. He's, he doesn't need to sign. There's an option on the contract for next year that is on the Vio's part. So if he wants to come back, he's more than welcome to do it. Especially that a lot of people were talking on Twitter last weekend. A lot of people I'm talking about, um, MLS fantasy, MLS analysts, talking about uh, the Shen Guardian, those people from the West Coast and from MLS, were talking about who's the best DP in the history. And they were making a case that DeVaio might be the best uh, foreign DP signing in the history of MLS. But they were saying, to achieve that status, do you need to play more than two seasons or a season and a half in the MLS? Maybe two and a half, three seasons will qualify you as being the best DP ever in the MLS. So what does DeVaio strive for? If he thrives for his legacy, come back for one more year, continue what you're doing. And if he's on, if he continues like that, I know it's a stretch, people, what I'm going to say right now. I know it's a stretch, but he's 10 goals off Wondolowski's mark of 27 with eight games to go. And DeVaio having the most multiple goal games in the MLS this season might be possible that he reaches another 10 boot to make it 27 boot. Way more than his prediction of 10 boots, 10 goals that he did in the beginning of the year, if you remember correctly, people. <laughs> so that game was very interesting in a couple of different point of view. The New England and Montreal game at Foxborough. First of all, Montreal dominated the possession of that game with a 59.3% against, yes, you guessed it, 40.7% for New England on target, eight shots for Montreal, five on target, and three off target. It wasn't that much, but they actually blocked four shots. New England had ten shots, three on target, three off targets, and four blocked. So the Montreal defense blocked maybe four scoring opportunities, which is very big for the Montreal defensive core, which was comprised again of the usual suspects of Broski, Ferrari, Nesta, and Camera. What am I gonna? That might change. Well, um, when I'm talking about the preview later of the Columbus and Montreal game, I got a feeling we might see Tissot playing on Saturday. Might be the return of the Academy products. It's been a while. It's been a while. Montreal had a total of 606 passes against 417, with that with an 89% accuracy on the part of the Montreal 11, which is great. They're starting to be able to play possession style and great passes. Okay, we're not playing a Tiki Taka, not even close. We're playing more cohesive, especially on the road, against a good team. New England is a good team. Don't forget that. So that is a great performance for Montreal. Very, very great performance. And I've got to say, if you look on MLSsoccer.com at uh, the recap of the New England and Montreal game, you have a very useful tool 
to let you know who's got the best connection between, it, between each other on the field. It's called the passing matrix. And when you look at that, you realize that Camara and Nesta have a great, great chemistry together. They find each other on the pitch very often. Same thing for Brovsky and Ferrari. Same thing for Ferrari and Bernier. Those are the passes, those are the connections being made on the pitch the most often. You get Bernier, Ferrari, Brovsky, Nesta, Brovsky, Ferrari, very, very accurate. And the number of passes they make between each other is staggering. So great job to those players. And that explains the 4-2 victory, in my opinion. Never mind Stoika and the two cult penalties. Never mind that. Montreal won 4-2. Still first in the East. And still, yes, still two games in hands on Kansas City and New York. So let's take a look at the standing on the MLS before the game on Friday night and the weekend games in the Major League Soccer. Right now in the Eastern Conference. First, with 45 points, 26 game played. We have the Montreal Impact with 45 points. Second in the East, the New York Rebels, 45 points, but 28 games played, two more. Kansas City, same thing, 45 games, 28. So we got the top three. There's a small gap between those three and the fourth and fifth, the last two spots that gives you a key for the playoffs. So we have the top three, Montreal, New York, Kansas City. Then fourth, Union, 39 points. 28 games played. We got Revolution, 5th, 37 points with 27 game played. One game in hand on Philly. And those are the teams that round off the playoff spots. But there's a big, big fight between Philly, New England, Houston, that is 6th, exact same um, record as New England with 37 points and 27 games played. We got Chicago with just one point off Houston. 36 and Columbus rounds out the teams that has a shot with the playoffs with 32 points a little behind Chicago and if Montreal can beat Columbus tomorrow we practically took the wins out of Columbus sales for the playoffs if we actually get it to, uh, the three points and Houston and Chicago win it's almost over for Columbus with uh, only eight games remaining there's no way they only have six games remaining, actually. If they lose Columbus, there's no way they can actually make the track. And obviously, in ninth, we got Toronto. There's no shot of the playoffs. No shot at all. And you got the DC United. If you don't know what happened with Toronto this week, if you're not a following of the TFC, let me just tell you, remember a couple of weeks ago? They signed a player called Uruti. Well, Uruti was a Kevin Payne signing, and guess what happened? They traded him this week to Portland in exchange of Bright Dyke or Bright Dykey. That's Bright Dyke. So, again, I kind of feel bad for all the Toronto supporters. If there's any left for the Toronto FC fans, there's a difference between fans and supporters. I don't know if there's a lot of TSC supporters left, but I kind of feel bad for them. It's almost not funny anymore. Gotta get your, ass, get your act together, people. It's fun to have a rivalry when the other team is actually decent. Speaking of decent, 10th, we have DC, 14 points. They're out of the playoff for sure. There's nothing they can do at all. 
So it's going to be interesting to see what happened in the game in the East this week. And now for the Western table. In the Western Conference, it is as tight as the East. So right now on first, a very big game for the for the actual Western Conference table tonight. We have Seattle Sounders with their 70,000 supporters at CenturyLink Field in Seattle, Washington against the Real Salt Lake. It's kind of like a rivalry, not because the club ate each other or not because something like that, but just because both teams has been good in the last couple of years. And every time they faced each other, it was a very potent game, a very offensive, a very interesting and entertaining game to watch. So all you Euro snobs out there, if you still, if there's still any, if you have an MLS game to watch to make you maybe fall in love with that league, watch tonight. NBC Sports Network, probably somewhere in the Canadian TSN or RDS. Seattle versus Salt Lake or on MLS Live or on a, wherever you get your game on illegal streams if those things allegedly exist. <laughs> so that's very important because right now Seattle is second. First is Salt Lake. First in the league with 48 points. And we have Seattle second with 46. Seattle is the only team that has the same amount of game played as the Impact, which is 26. And right now, if all... Like with the points per game. We're talking about the points per game for the last couple of weeks on, on After Woodworks. Which is for a table that is not balanced between... Because the team hasn't played the same amount of game... The points per game tells you an idea of what the final table would look like if the teams have played the same amount of game. And right now, the points per game, you got Seattle with 177, Montreal with 173, 172, 173, and you got Salt Lake with 171. So those are the top three for the Supporters Shield race, in my opinion. And we got third in the West, Galaxy, Colorado, fourth. Portland, fifth. Dallas, two points off the playoffs in sixth. Vancouver, five points out of the playoffs, right, as we speak. Seventh. It's going to be very hard for Vancouver to qualify for the playoffs. I don't think they will. You got San Jose, 37 points as well, with 28 games played. So for Vancouver and San Jose, they're not eliminated. They're five points off the playoffs, but with not an easy calendar, not an easy schedule coming, and a gap that's going to be hard to cover. Then we have last of the West, obviously. Obviously, they're last in the Western Conference. Chivas USA, the GOATs, 25 points, which is 11 more than DC. That is something. That is a very big something. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a small break very soon on After Woodworks, but just before the break, I just want to ta tally a little bit of the World Cup qualifying in the CONCACAF region in the hex as we stand with only a handful of games left in that group. Right now, there's eight games. There's only two games left for every team. And the two teams that qualified already are the United States with a record after eight games played in the Hex, of four wins, zero defeat, zero law. Five wins, sorry. One defeat, and one draw, two losses. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Rewind this. <laughs> the US and the Hex, right now, five wins, one draw, two losses, 16 points. 
qualified for Brazil. They are going to Brazil. They are going to Brazil. They are going. They are going. They are going to Brazil. Then we got Costa Rica second. What a total after eight games played again of four wins, three defeats, three draws, and one loss. They're going to Brazil as well. So Costa Rica qualified for Brazil. Third and last place that qualifies for Brazil 2014. Honduras is now third with 11 points. Three points better than Panama and Mexico were tied for fourth place. And fourth place gives you a playoff against New Zealand. And the winner of that playoff of a home and away game series goes to Brazil. And as it stands right now, because of the goal differential, it would be Panama. Mexico would not even make it to the World Cup final 2014 Brazil. As it stands right now, we all know Mexico probably has an ace up its sleeve with their new coach, Vucetic. We'll see what happens. But wouldn't it be great if Panama would qualify and Honduras and not Mexico? People would then believe us when we say that it's not easy in the CONCACAF. It's not easy for a team like Canada, duh, to be able to perform in the CONCACAF. <laughs> so we'll take a small break on how the woodworks. When we come back, we will be talking to AJ Job live from Columbus, Ohio. And you know what? He was born in the USA. Welcome back to After Woodworks. It's with great pleasure that I would like to welcome live from Columbus, Ohio, Mr. AJ Job. Hello, AJ. Hey, how's it going? I'm great in yourself. I'm I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. All right. First of all, before we talk about the crew and the game on tomorrow night on Saturday, I would like to talk to you about a great night in U.S. men's national team history on Tuesday. Columbus Crew Stadium. The Dos Acero. What's what can you say about that game? Just out of out of the tip of your tongue like that. It was amazing, and you know this was actually my first international match, so it was uh, it was a new thing for me. But being there, everybody was charged up and ready. Uh, and, and you know, it's more than just a game. It's about two cultures coming together, and that rivalry. Uh, really created a great atmosphere outside of the stadium and in the stadium. So uh, it was it was an awesome time. Uh, you know, met a lot of new friends and uh, enjoyed the uh, Dos Acero as well. So uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. So in the hex, uh, the actual the United States qualified for the, the the World Cup in Brazil. So you are going to Brazil as a country. What's your first thought about Klinsman, the way he handled all the yellow cards, suspensions, and the fact that Altador was not there, and the Michael Bradley injuries. What's you know, your word to describe Klinsman's job? 
I, I got to tell you, when when he first took the job, I I was very very much behind Bob Bradley, and I still think Bob Bradley is a great coach. Uh, but Jurgen Klinsmann just seems to manage any type of problems that get thrown at him. You know, you know, very famously they had that Brian Strauss article that came out, and some of the players were complaining about him, and and uh, you know they had all of this strife. And he just kind of said, you know what, that's fine. We're going to work through these problems and we'll be better for it. And uh, we're going to blood these young players and, and we'll be fine. And he's led them through. And, you know, his crisis management is probably as good as many of the of the top managers out there. You know, some people say that maybe tactically he's not uh, the best. But, you know, any day of the week I'll take a guy who can manage – Men and manage their emotions and get them ready for the game. So I'm, I, I love him. Do you to really death, think that's what Klinsman's strong point? The way he manages, because a lot of time lately he took the heat on him instead of the players to focus the attention on him and right. actually to make the players concentrate. So, do you think that's what actually really helped the U.S. men's national team gel together? I think so. I mean, he just seems like he's such a great personality, and he's a guy that that you know you, you almost <laughs> want to be friends with because I mean, you hear the you hear the words that come out of his out of his mouth. He's just a genuine good guy, and he's not going to lie to you, and he's not going to sugarcoat things, and and that's refreshing uh, for an international manager or a manager of any sort. And I think that the players can appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's getting results. Whatever it is that's behind it, it's clearly working. So All right, so enough about the game. Let's talk about the actual experience. There was a lot of hype before the game because they were talking about 9,000, 10,000 supporters present in that stadium. <laughs> right. And a lot of hype about the capos. People are not used to having capos at the game anyways. How did that right. pan out? How was the actual experience as a spectator? I got to tell you, it was very loud, as loud as I've ever heard at Cruz Stadium, maybe rivaling uh, the Eastern Conference final in 08 uh, when Columbus first went to the championship match. Uh, but it, it was kind of interesting because there were so many supporters, they actually had them on opposite ends of the stadium. And getting everybody on the same page was tough because, you know, as, as sound travels a little a little slower than light, you know, people were trying to do the, to do the uh, chants at the same time, but it was a little bit off. But what it done was it just created this huge din, this roar of people. And, you know, even without a roof, it was it was extremely loud. So it, it was it was a great atmosphere, maybe a little disjointed at times. But, you know, it, it, it definitely lifted the boys spirits right, for so. sure. The city is still buzzing, and now one of the hottest teams in the East is coming to town. The Montreal Impact <laughs> are landing tonight in Columbus to play the Columbus Crew on Saturday night at Crew Stadium. What do you think is going to be the most trouble for the defense? Do you think the actual defense of Columbus can hold the attack of Montreal? Actually, just DeVaio, because he is the attack of Montreal. <laughs> right. Um, you know... The defense in Columbus, it struggles at times. And two things that I pick out, anytime you can combine uh, any type of speed with somebody who, like a Marco DeVaio, who is always on that line, uh, you know, the, the crew seems to struggle with the offside trap. And it seems like if you cannot catch Marco DeVaio on the offside trap, he's going <laughs> to catch you, uh, all, you know, a couple of times a match. So, 
I worry about that. I think the best thing that the crew can do is get physical with DeVaio and possibly try to throw him off his game. But, you know, there's other options as well for Montreal. So it's going to be very interesting. I think the main thing that we're looking at right now is Chad Marshall and Federico Higuain are uh, questionable for the match this weekend. So we're trying to figure out whether those two are going to be in. And I got to tell you, both of those players will be crucial. If they're not in the lineup, uh, I think Montreal's going to have a real chance to roll over yeah, the crew this weekend. Yeah, I don't have this stat right in front of me, but I know that when Higuain's plays, usually the crew has a big chance of getting that W. Especially yeah. last couple of games before he got suspended for the yellow cards. He actually had a, a decent run of form a couple of games with a couple of braces. And I thought it was going to be restarting for him. I thought it was going to be an actual contender for Golden Boot and everything. And don't know what keeps happening. He's like he's a right. couple of games hot, and then he becomes cold. He's he can seem him now. See, he's the best player for the crew. There's no doubt about that. And I think the trouble that we have is that defenses will hone in on him. And it seems like if you can cut his passing lanes down and get physical with the players around him it can really make it hard on Federico uh, to get anything going offensively. And if you can hold the crew off for about 60 minutes, he seems to get really frustrated, and he will play himself out of the match. I got to tell you, if you can get – if you can shut the crew out for 60 to 68 minutes, what he'll do is he'll start trying to take all of the shots himself. He'll quit passing the ball. He'll start trying to do too much, and that just leads to more problems. And I've seen that a couple of times this year with him getting frustrated. Now, the question is, what type of team are we going to see now that Robert Varsija is gone? We saw one team that done quite well at home, um, and you know Brian Bliss got his first win against Houston, but then they went to Kansas City and lost 3-0 and looked terrible. So that's the question. And, and how is Iguain going to respond under Brian Bliss? Because he pretty famously was not very happy under You think Varcia. it's one of the reasons Varcia got booted out, uh, his relationship with Iguain? I think it's a huge region, reason. Um, I, you know, they, they basically decided – it seemed like Varcia had lost the locker room and the players were kind of – you know, they were kind of tired of some of his antics. Um, and it seemed like they were gonna they were gonna go that way at the end of the season anyway. But you know, one thing like I've seen with Iguain getting frustrated, that, you know, a guy of that talent will only wait so long before he decides yeah. to move on. And if he's un- if he's unhappy, I think they said, okay, let's make this move now. Let's make sure Federico's happy so he doesn't want to leave next year. Because as much as they want to say that they have a lot of talent around him. When you lose Federico Higuain as the Columbus crew, you are putting a serious dent into yeah. next year's chances as well. So I think that was a big part of it, trying to keep him happy and keep him in Columbus to the end of his contract. Because we saw last year, before his arrival, the way Columbus was playing and after his arrival, there was a big difference of techniques and tactics. Almost the same way the Vio bring to Montreal. Like the, the step up of class and quality on their play. And... The way you said it, maybe teams are actually double teaming all the time. Iguain. So, do you think Aguero? Because Aguero did hurt Montreal a couple times this year and last year. Is he going to do it again on Saturday? Yep. It's a good question. You know, and I've watched Montreal quite a bit. Uh, you know, watching them yeah. for the <laughs> fantasy reasons with my show. But um, it seems like 
that I don't know what it is about the defense for Montreal, but it seems like, you know, sometimes they look like, you know, you got your World Cup veteran in the back line there. Sometimes they look like a, a World yeah. Cup defending squad, and sometimes yep. they just seem confused. <laughs> and and <laughs> as far as Arduro goes, you know, the one thing he's got going for him is speed. So he's got to get isolated uh, with guys that he can take on one-on-one, and that can cause problems for Montreal. Uh, but the one thing, and that's the thing, we, as far as forwards, the Columbus crew have Dominic Oduro and Jairo Arrieta, both of them very talented. And, and Arrieta was one of the players that really helped Guayin in the middle of last season. And, I mean, those two were on fire. But what we've seen is when teams get physical with Arrieta and Oduro, they can really mark them out of the match. You know, Arrieta, I mean, God love him. He's got so much heart, but, I mean, he's he's all exactly. of maybe five he's, foot he's, seven. He's lucky, and he's, what, know? 120 pounds so, all wet? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's very easy to put a hand on him and stop him from doing what he wants. Now, that's the thing. You've got to be able to break him free, and that's what's going to make Iguain so important because if he can make space – for Arietta and Oduro, the crew become twice as dangerous as they are without yeah, them. Yeah, and all right, speaking about the Warzika for a second, there's something I always found odd. When your kid is playing for yourself in a professional level, just maybe, what do you thought about that? <laughs> How did that happen? Because in Montreal, we never saw that. And when I was watching the game and I saw I subbed in, I was like, what? His kid is actually playing under yeah. him in a professional level? <laughs> is that serious? What do you think about that? It's very weird. Uh, and, you know, and I, we've actually seen that before with Bob and Michael Bradley, though there's a, a significant yes. <laughs> talent difference between Michael Bradley and Conrad Varcia. Uh, one thing I will say, Conrad is a, is a decent player, and, and he holds his own uh, merits quite well. Uh, but, you know, as far as an MLS player, he's very young. And he's still got quite a ways to go. So he's a decent substitute when you need a big midfielder to come in and try to just, you know, pound the ball up through the middle. But other than that, you know, it's it, it's sometimes he's not very useful to the team. So I think what happened, he was released from Sporting Kansas City. They needed somebody to fill that roster up. And he's a decent addition, just not, uh, not going to burn down any barns anytime soon. So... Uh, it, it's a little weird to see that, but you know Brian Bliss has said he said okay. he's a decent player. We're going to keep him around, and and Conrad has handled his father's firing okay. quite well. So that's that's good to see him uh, do that. That's and what really I was wondering to too, because the there's two stands the actual kid can <laughs> take. Right, he can back his father or back the club. It's, <laughs> right. And it's funny because he will not actually refer to him as his father. He calls him oh, Bob. That's even weirder. <laughs> so. In, in, Yes, in in interviews and things like that, he won't say dad. He'll say Bob. You know, Bob's doing this or Bob's doing that. So it, it's kind of hilarious, but you know, it. I guess it works. I <laughs> All don't right, know. and I know you're a big fantasy buff because you were the MLS Fantasy Insider show on NASN, and I'm a big fantasy buff yep. as well. I'm an MLS Fantasy EPL Fantasy. Maybe a couple uh, suggestions and hints for our listeners for the next couple weeks. I know today was the deadline. Actually, today we're recording this on Wednesday night. For the Friday show. Today was the deadline for this week on the MLS. Which yep. kind which direction, which kind of player would you get for the next couple of weeks? Well, it's getting very interesting. We're getting to that playoff time. Uh 
where you know everybody is fighting for every inch. And one thing we've seen with the fantasy game this year is the points have been spread out over a lot of different players. We're seeing uh, you know really a renaissance of MLS players that are just really showing their talent. A lot of young guys coming up and doing quite well. And then you got those wily veterans like you know Marco Devio, like a Robbie Keane that are just that have just been great. Uh, right now, you know, you got to look at those teams that are making those playoff pushes, the guys that absolutely have to have it, teams like the L.A. Galaxy. Uh, you know, any time right now, if you're talking about Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan, those guys are super hot, uh, and those are going to be the guys that are scoring your points. And and you kind of got to take it week by week. This week, it's uh, it's a double game week for the Toronto FC and Chicago Fire, so... Anybody with Mike McGee, uh, Austin Berry, Sean Johnson, those kind of guys, they're hoping for a good result tonight against TFC and going on to the weekend. But uh, it, it's a very exciting time for the fantasy game. Uh, anybody that listens to our show, you'll hear us talk about it at length. You know, we, we kind of go in depth and we have a lot of friends that uh, uh, add to the show. And, you know, guys, guys I, I've seen guys with spreadsheets <laughs> that actually calculate things you know who's going to win away rather than at home and things like this and it's it's amazing how in-depth that you can get with it and you know we try to offer a little bit of everything in the show so all right and do you have a final prediction for the game on saturday oh man i gotta tell you i i I don't see much hope (laughs) for the crew this weekend i think montreal you know as long as they as they don't do one of those famous disappearing (laughs) acts that we've seen uh, I think Devayo has a chance to get a couple of goals, uh, and I, I kind of see a three-one to the Montreal Impact. I think you guys are going to stick at the top of that table, and I don't think there's going to be much we can do about it. So it'll be interesting. Right, well, for sure. hopefully you're right. AJ Doe from MLS Fantasy Insider, thank you very much for being on Off the Woodworks. Well, thanks My for pleasure, having me. And we'll talk to you again as soon as the Columbus come back in the news, which usually doesn't really happen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sadly we'll be back after this break. Thank you very much, AJ Job. You can see AJ Job on Twitter. And you can listen to AJ Job on NASN. He is part of the uh, MLS Fantasy Insider Show. Live from Columbus. Great talking to you, AJ. We will be talking to you real soon. <laughs> and in the weekend, in the Garber Circuit. Big game Friday night, first of all, like we're talking about. Seattle, Real Salt Lake. Very interesting. Watch that on MLS Live or wherever you get your usual MLS games. And Saturday... The game today that interests us more because it starts off in the MLS at 2 p.m. Stan Saputo, wake up early. This is where you get your fix for football this week. It's Stan Saputo. Be one of the 20,000 people who will be there for the first chilly game of the fall at Stan Saputo. So 2 o'clock Eastern time, the Montreal Impact Columbus crew. And then we're heading off to New York. For the second game of the day, the New York Red Bulls against Toronto FC at Red Bull Arena in New Jersey. If you, uh, just a little second here, 
if you know about New Jersey, something really bad happened last night in New Jersey. The boardwalk, the world-famous New Jersey boardwalk, burnt. Basically, almost all of it. Only uh, the Heights parts were safe, but the rest, the shore, is all burnt. So, uh, it's too bad. That's sad for all the New Jersey. So, maybe for the New Jersey Red Bulls, a W against Toronto would help them. And that is very achievable. Especially that Robert Earnshaw injured himself again. He came back because, yeah, Wednesday night there was one game in the MLS. Chicago was traveled to Toronto. 1-1 draw. And Earnshaw scored at the 24th minute. But as he was scoring, he injured his hamstring. So now he's out again. So the next game on Saturday, we've got Philly, the Philadelphia Union versus the Houston Dynamo in Philly at PPL Park. We all know it's not in Philly. It's in Chester. But it doesn't matter. Chicago Fire, the firecrackers against the Revolution. Will the Revolution come back to their winning ways? Or will Chicago continue on their one-game unbeaten streak? <laughs> the Colorado Rapids against Dallas. Dallas travels to Colorado for a game to see who of those two will continue with a shot at the playoffs in the West. San Jose-Vancouver. Vancouver wins. They're back in the race. Vancouver loses, San Jose might be back in the race. So this is a game of the last chance for a playoff race possibility in the West between San Jose and Vancouver. And the last game on Saturday in the MLS, Chivas USA and Portland. Portland travels to the StubHub Center to face Chivas. Yep, you can put that in your parlay that Chivas are not going to win. Even though they're playing better football. I know they're playing better. And the only team Sunday, the only game Sunday in the MLS, we've got DC United against the LA Galaxy. The Galaxy, who will have their stars back from international brick? We're talking about the Donovans, the Robbie Keens, the Omar Gonzalez of this world. So look for the Galaxy to go back to their winning ways in the MLS this weekend. And that's all the games that interest us in the MLS this week. That's all the games I have anyways. So even if you're not interested, that's all the games in the MLS. <laughs> so that does it for this show for this week on Off the Woodworks number 39. Already number 39, show number 39. It's incredible. And I want to take a second to thank every single one of you listeners. Thank all the boys down in Toronto for Red Nation Online. We're talking about Ian Clark, Rick Evangelista, thank you for all your work and helping me promote Off the Woodworks and make it what Off the Woodworks has been. Uh, we're having pretty good numbers and it's way more than I ever thought this show would be. And this is all because of you people who takes a second and downloads or just listen to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, reactions, if you want to talk about what you think about capping Camilo Cap Felipe, Cap Camera, Off the Woodworks at Hotmail.com, Twitter at Off the Woodworks, Facebook, Off the Woodworks. You can get the show on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, on FeedBurner, on Podbean, pretty much everywhere you can get our RSS feed, you can get this show. I want to thank again my guest AJ Joe from NASN, uh, MLS Fantasy Insider. It was a great interview, especially the part where he explains 
that he was there for the dos acero. So dos acero, dos berni, and dos de Bayo. And don't forget, we won four two. One, two, three, four, baby. <laughs> Until Tuesday, we'll have a show this Tuesday talking about the CONCACAF because the CONCACAF resumes Tuesday and Wednesday night in the CONCACAF Champions League. We're talking about the club CONCACAF. And we will get CONCACAF probably again. But anyways, until Tuesday, my name is Kevin Lagame and have a great soccer.